Let me get this moved over. When I was drumming, I really didn't want to sit on this pack, and so I had it in the front, and now I'm just going to put it in the back. We should be good, because I don't plan on sitting down uh, while I'm teaching. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Uh, it wasn't until, I think, like yesterday or today, as I was preparing and I'm looking at things, that I realized that Pastor gave me Valentine's Day to speak. And I was like, oh, he didn't say I had to do a Valentine's message, so I'm going to say we're not going to have to do that. But then as I was looking, I'm like, well, you know, kind of like Pastor said earlier, you can find God's love in a lot of the scripture, and you can see it really strongly. So now I want to focus on, a, on some areas where I don't feel like it gets enough credit for having that. Um, if you're looking for a title, tonight's title is Learning from Leviticus, Feeling the Heartbeat of God. Yeah, that was my English degree paid for that. For that title, Learning from Leviticus. <clears throat> so I was upstairs last week uh, in 4.13, and as I was sitting there um, listening to the teaching, I've been, I've been reading some things and, and thinking and just talking with God about things. And as I was there, I said, God, is this something that's for me? Is this something for me to share with someone? Or is this something for me to share with everyone? And I really felt like he was saying, this is something for, for more than just you and more than just one or two other people. I said, okay. Well, I trust in your timing and that you'll, you know, you'll set the stage when it's ready. And pastor said, can you speak next week? And I said, okay, the stage is ready. So we're going <laughs> to, I guess we're going to go for it. But the thing is, this is just as much for me as it is for anyone else. And I wanted to kind of symbolize that. So I'm, this represents me. I'm, I'm preaching to myself tonight. Uh, that's another saying I've heard pastor say once or twice. So that's, that's where I'm sitting because I sit in the front row. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, this is just as much for, for me as it is for anyone here. So with Valentine's Day, I wanted to focus on, on the heartbeat of God. And I thought, where better than to do that in Leviticus? Um, I've got a friend named Tamia. She lives in South Africa. And she was getting ready to do YWAM, which is Youth with a Mission. And as we were talking about her experiences, because she had just finished, um, I said, okay, like, you know, give, me, give me the highlights. Let me, let me know what your, your thoughts were. We had a great conversation, and one of the things she said is, I really fell in love with the Old Testament. I said, okay, not something I'm used to hearing. Can you expand on that? Like, give, me, give me one big thing that I should take away from the Old Testament that maybe I haven't already. And she said, you can really see God's heart in it. You get to see God in an entirely new way. And she's like, for me, I love Leviticus. I said, I heard you right, right? Like Leviticus, okay? Like Proverbs is really good. I like Proverbs. Psalms, you can pull a lot from Psalms. Um, Ruth, Esther, we got some inspirational stories. Those are great too. She's like, no, Leviticus. I said, oh, okay. That, the same, okay, the same Leviticus I'm thinking of. I said, why? And she said, when you read Leviticus, a lot of it is law. And when you read all of this, you can see God's heart in it, and then you can see Christ's fulfillment of that law. And it gives an entirely new depth and meaning to the Old Testament, especially that portion of Scripture. I said, okay. She's like, you've got to read it. You've got to read Leviticus and then talk to me. So I've been reading Leviticus and I've been very much intrigued um, as I've been going through. And I wanted to share those things with you tonight. Um, but before I get too deep, I'd like to start off with a brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight with grateful hearts, open arms, uh, ears ready to listen, ready to receive what you have for us. God, I pray that your will will be done tonight, not my will, that this would not be about me or any other person here, but it would be about you and what you have for your people. 
I pray, Lord, that my words would not be spoken, but rather your words through me, that you be glorified and lifted high. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So for those of you who know your Old Testament, uh, not chronologically, uh, as it's written in the Bible, Leviticus comes after Exodus. So contextually speaking, Exodus is whenever the Hebrew people are pulled out of, out of Egypt, God has delivered them, and he has, he has done some miraculous things. Um, in this set of scripture, he is setting his people apart. All right, now they're his free nation. This is not the main point, but this is something that I did want to share. The Israelites have been delivered from the hands of Egypt. They watched their God do miracles and answer prayers that they've been praying for years. He told Moses, Moses, he said, I've heard the cries of my people, and now it's time for deliverance. He parted the Red Sea so they could move on and then use the very thing that was once an obstacle to drown their enemies. This is not my main point, but some of you need to know this. You have a problem in your way, and you don't see a way around it. But God, which is a great way to start any sentence, but God says, not only am I going to part the water so that you can walk through unscathed, but I'm going to use the very thing that once seemed a hindrance to you to obliterate the enemy and to bring myself glory. That burden you're carrying, give it to me. I'll crush the enemy with it. That darkness you're afraid of, trust me and I'll blind the enemy with my light. We're not in control. We don't choose how God delivers us, but know that God is a God of deliverance. So now we can begin. So, Leviticus, early on, very first verse, we see that God has instructions for his people. and He's laying these out. Leviticus 1.1 says, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, and he goes on to say what he has to say. But we're going to break down, we're starting in verse 1. We're not doing this with the whole book, I promise. I'm not breaking down every verse. Don't have time for that this year. <clears throat> this book starts off by telling us that the Lord spoke to Moses. If we could put that verse back up, something you'll see in the Old Testament sometimes is when it talks about Lord, it's got every letter of the Lord capitalized. This is not just saying like, he is a Lord. He is a God. This is in place of his proper name. So this is the name he gave his people, saying, if you are looking to see on whose behalf I'm sending you, here's the name you'll say. All right, that's where we get Yahweh and we get Jehovah. And the reason we get kind of both of those is because uh, they would not fully pronounce his name. They would not fully write his name. They considered it too holy to completely speak and too sacred to completely transcribe. So if we're looking for who we should be receiving instruction from, that's a great place to start. Right? The God who made everything, the existing one, the creator, he is the one who we should be receiving this instruction from. And it's of utmost importance because God is talking to Moses. This was the primary method of communication at the time, is God would talk to Moses and say, tell the people this, and Moses would. And I realized Moses was there during the 10 plagues, during the deliverance from Egypt. So if God's talking to Moses, it's best for them to turn their listening ears on and hear what God has to say. So right off in verse number two, we get sacrifices. And a lot of Leviticus is sacrifices. If you are looking to open a butcher shop, Start in Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring an offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. So we have rules listed for quite a while in this book concerning sacrifices and offerings. Um, they required a lot of purpose, a lot of attention to detail. God never just said, Okay, bring it and we're done. 
He was very intricate. He was very specific with this. Um, and I think, that there are, I, I, I think that there are reasons for this. And if you disagree with any of this, that's totally fine. I'd be more than happy to discuss this with anyone. I'm not claiming that I have all the answers, but this was just what I felt like God was revealing to me. You can ask for forgiveness and move on, but when you are <laughs> taking the time to sacrifice an animal the way that it's said, you're given a lot of time, a lot of time to reflect. You're given time to think. You see the destruction of your sin. So a lot of times we're blind to that in our own lives. But as you're watching the life be drained from this animal, as you're watching it be cut up, the carcass burned, the blood sprinkled on the side of the altar, you can see the destruction that your sin brings. This is not a message of condemnation. This is a realization, uh, a re-revelation, if I can say it like that. That was something that God is trying to establish with his people. He says, when you are sinning, especially against me, because all sin is against me, I, I need you to comprehend what's going on. I need you to see the depths of the destruction that sin against my will brings. My will is good, it is perfect, it is holy. So when you bring something unholy, it can only bring destruction. Along with all the instructions, which there were instructions for what to do if you didn't know you sinned, if different people sinned on different types of sin. Um, oh, my bad. We, we, we got to focus on, on the different people who sinned. And this is another point I wanted to bring up. If you were a priest who sinned, your sacrifice was different. If you were a leader, an influential person, your sacrifice was different. If you were one of the common people, your sacrifice was different. Why is this the case? God is establishing early on that if you are in a position of power, you have a lot of authority and you have a lot of responsibility. He says if the priests sin, then they likely brought the rest of the nation into sin with them. That's why it's really important, people like pastor who are here at the church trying to determine what is going to be said and what's going to be done because they don't want to lead the church into sin. This is something that is established very early on in Leviticus, saying if, if you have this authority, if you have this leadership, you need to be very careful. You need to hold yourself to a higher standard because not only is God seeing everything, but everyone around you is seeing everything. And your actions will influence others and you can draw them into your destructive habits, your destructive sin, especially if you're not paying attention, especially if you're not careful. <clears throat> Next we see that God is becoming accessible. Now it's not the same kind of uh, accessibility we have today, but prior to this, you know, God would speak to Abraham or to Isaac or to Jacob. We see God speaking to a few people in a few instances or sending an angel to interact with someone. But in this moment, you could do something that directly impacted your relationship, your interaction with God. You could bring an offering out of the goodness of your heart and say, God, I am not worthy to be one of your people. I'm not worthy to be your son or your daughter. But I still want to offer this to you out of gratitude anyway. God, I realize I've sinned. I realize I've fallen short. I need to atone. I need to, to bring something to pay the price for my sins, and so I want to do that. You don't see a lot of that prior to this. You do have some instances of sacrifices and some instances of altars, but this is where God's setting the tone. He's saying, this is what to expect. This is how you can interact with me, how you can realize that you are my people, but I am your God. The Israelites a lot of time had a trouble trying to... Uh, Seize power, seize control, saying, this is what we think should happen. And God's like, you don't realize what you're saying. You've got to realize that I am God, not you. And he's setting that. 
Something that sticks out to me in Leviticus is this phrase, pleasing aroma. We see it the first time in Leviticus 1.9 in the latter part of it. I put, and the priest shall burn all of it, the, the sacrifice, on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. I remember hearing this as a kid, a lot, and I even heard it, um, Miss Monica, I think you said it uh, Sunday morning. I think you said it during pre-service prayer. And I was like, it's just, it's something that you hear. And I was like, but growing up, I was wondering, like, God doesn't need a candle. Like, he doesn't need a pleasing aroma. What is, what is the point of an aroma to a God who doesn't, you know, need his nose? So I had to dig a little deeper. I had to see. And I tried to find the pronunciation for these, and I heard it, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to try and pronounce those words. And I tried to put it on the screen, and it didn't recognize the characters. So I would just um, thoroughly recommend that you check out those two words, pleasing aroma. So the word listed for pleasing means soothing, quieting, or tranquilizing. The word for aroma means scent, fragrance, aroma, or odor. So I think that there are many different interpretations for this, many different possibilities. But one that I felt like God was bringing to my light was um, the most that could happen from your sacrifice, from your uh, request for forgiveness, is that the wrath of God would be soothed. It wasn't satisfied. It couldn't be satisfied. The most you could do is essentially calm the wrath of God down. Now to us, living in the New Testament, that sounds like that, that's, that's, not, that's not enough. That's not a lot. But for them, that was the most they had. The most that you could do at this point was say, I'm so sorry, please, please don't you know, smite me. Please don't do this. Please don't hurt us. Please don't bring punishment upon us to help us remember the destruction our sin brings. The most you could do was try to soothe the wrath of God. So there were a, there's a lot in Leviticus, and this is only in the first few chapters. And I don't want to spend all my time living in the Old Testament. I want to bring this current. What does any of this what, what does any of this have to do with us today? How can we draw anything from a passage like this? Pastor will be the first to tell you uh, pretty quickly, we don't have to live under law anymore. We get to live under grace. We get to. So then what's the point of even bothering with any of this? Well, I'd like to show you. Because the, the same God who created everything, who worked miracles, has instructions for us. Just like he did for his people. All right? One step at a time, we can break down this heartbeat of God that we see. We can see his heart, even in something as dense as the law. <laughs> David, in Psalms, said several times, you know, I delight in your law. I meditate in it. How can you delight in something like this? Well, he got a handle on this. In Hebrews 4.12, we can see, like I said, living in the New Testament, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I'm so very grateful, and I hope you are too, that we do not have to live under Levitical law. But God's got instructions for us on how to live. He's got steps on things that will help us day by day, moment by moment, one thing at a time. Now, these are not you have to. You must, otherwise, this will come down upon all of you. These are, if you want success, if you want happiness, if you want joy, if you want peace, you're going to find it in here. You're not going to find it out in the world, because you're going to find a lot of despair. You're going to find a lot of tragedy out there. I mean, we talked about it tonight. You're going to find a lot of that. If you want the things of God, I can tell you where to find them. The thing is, it's up to you to do the finding. Right? I can give you as many Bibles as I have, and I can go out and buy more. 
But unless you crack this book, it's not going to change your life. Unless the Israelites followed the laws and the steps that God set out, because they weren't all just, here's a sacrifice, here's the thing you have to do. It was, here's how to live better. There were a lot of times God says, this is unclean, don't touch it. It wasn't because he was trying to, you know, destroy their fun. It's because he's saying, you don't know the concept of germs. That's not good for you. In the same way, there are a lot of things we as Christians, even today, don't understand. But if you follow this word, if you follow those instructions, step by step, God's saying, ooh, success is coming your way. It's barreling down on you like a freight train, and it's going to overcome you. Continuing on, there was a sacrifice, a brutal, horrific sacrifice that was made on our behalf. We didn't have to take a lamb to the slaughter because we could never take enough. Christ had to offer himself up on a cross and be maimed and utterly destroyed for our sake. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul says, for our sake, this is for us, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God fulfilled what we could not. We could never put enough lambs or animals on the altar, enough grain offerings on the altar to fill the gap that sin gave us. We could try and soothe and soothe and soothe and and see what we can do, but we would never fully atone the price of our sin. We see that in the New Testament, that even then God said there has to be a sacrifice that's made. And it's not just that he's going to come and die in a day. He's going to come. He's going to live a perfect, sinless, faultless life. And how's he going to die? He's going to die by being sliced apart, by being brutally tortured, by being falsely accused. It says that he became sin. That's, that's the depth of this, of this action that Christ took for us. It wasn't just that he came in place of us. He embodied sin to the point where God couldn't even stand the sight of him. On the cross, Christ cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? How can you have abandoned me in this moment? Because he bore the price of our sin. God is accessible to all of us and so much more accessible than he was back then. See, back then you had to go to someone to then come to God on your behalf. You had to go to a priest. You had to go to Moses. Right? Today, you would have had to go to pastor, and pastor would then take all of your worries and concerns and be like, God, these people got problems. You got to deal with it. I'm tired of this. Early retirement, please. That's how it was. Like, I can't imagine having to do that on a daily basis. That was these people's job was to take all of the, the issues that the, the nation of Israel had and bring them before God. Not a job I want to apply for. <laughs> but God is accessible to us, so we don't have to worry about that. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus is leaving after having been raised from the dead, and he gives his disciples some instructions, and I wanted to read it in context, and then I want to focus on a specific spot. And Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, which is very powerful. You could spend about half an hour there at least. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
See, we don't, we don't even have to come into the building of a church to talk to our God. God is with us everywhere all the time. See, back then when this was being established, you had to go to the tabernacle to a specific spot. And even then, you could not enter into the presence of God. You could not go in and plead your own case. But today, from the comfort of your home, you probably said a prayer. Today, sitting around a, a table eating food, you might have said a prayer. Tonight, on your way to church, you might have said a prayer. Kind of might have dropped something in your heart. God is accessible to us. And the more that I read this, this portion of Scripture in the Old Testament, not only do I see the consistencies, but I'm, I'm so utterly grateful. <laughs> so utterly grateful to be born in the New Testament. I can talk to my God whenever I want. And there's nothing you can do to stop me. I don't have to ask someone else to talk to him on my behalf. I don't have to wait to see if he has a busy signal. Line's always open. I'm going to take advantage of it. The wrath of God is now satisfied. It's not just soothed. Ooh, it's satisfied. See, the law has been fulfilled. It's been complete. There are no more extra clauses. We've got to try and sneak in there to say, uh, if, I can just, if I can do that, then my, my salvation has been attained. Then my Christianity is actually real. No, no, no. It's good news. Christ came and he took care of it. He fulfilled it. Nothing you can say or do can take you further from God or can bring you closer than he is to you right now. He is already right there. You can get to know his heart more. You can get to know his character more. But at the end of the day, no matter what sin you commit or how many prayers you pray, he's right there with you. He's accessible and he is satisfied. The wrath of God has been satisfied. Something that um, I'm trying, I couldn't remember for the life of me who it was that said it. Either um, Dr. Elias Malky said it or um, Ken Gobb said it. One of the two when they were here. They said they were out, and I believe it was in the Middle East, and they were in a, a more orthodox Christian setting, and they wanted to pray. And so they were with a minister there, and the minister said, okay, we can do that. We can, we can go pray. So they went, and they adorned themselves. And they put everything on, and they lit the candles and the incense. And the whole time, the other person's just there like, okay, we can, we can do that. They got down on their knees, and they prayed. And I mean, it wasn't anything long, maybe a couple minutes. And they were like, okay, that's all. The person kind of looked at him like, that. we did all this for that? And I, I was torn because there is something there. Like, we have that opportunity because God's wrath has been taken care of entirely. We can approach God real quick. Say, God, hey, how's it going? Real quick, I wanted to say, um, can you please, you know, help us with this? Earlier I was praying for someone in church, and I'm like, I didn't have to do anything special. I didn't have to do any motions. God was accessible right then and there. Prayed, and we moved on. But I think... And I'm, I'm as guilty of this as anyone. That's why that's right there. I think that because of that, we, we tend to take it for granted. When was, and I, I'm not saying this to bring guilt or, or shame on anyone. This is just food for thought. When was the last time that you took a look at the destruction of, of sin in your life? When was the last time that you slowly, meticulously said, God, thank you. Thank you for your deliverance from that. When was the last time that you said, God, I'm so grateful that I can approach you whenever, wherever, and I don't have to worry about your wrath 
or sin impeding our communication. I feel like we take it for granted. And rereading all this, I've, my eyes, I feel like my eyes have been opened. I'm still working on uh, practicing it. I'm still working on applying it to my life. But it's, I feel like it's something so significant that as Christians, we've, we've been lacking in. <clears throat> Romans 3, 21 through 26 says, But now, now, as in not Old Testament, but New Testament, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Oh, we don't have a period there. We have a comma. There's more to that. See, we could end it right there and like be filled with hope, uh, hopelessness and despair. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Have a great night, everyone. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, but the sentence doesn't end. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Why? This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I feel like I don't want to ever end a sermon without some sort of call to action in some way, shape, or form. And tonight I kind of have two. So one is, please take to heart these principles. Please take to heart and apply these things in life. God has instruction for us. He's made a way. He's sacrificed for us. He's accessible to all of us. And his wrath is no more. His wrath is no more focused on us. I want you to take those. And I, like I said, this is just as much to me. Take those and apply them. But I want you to take the same challenge that I had to take. Don't just crack this book and read different portions. As I was talking with a friend of mine, like I said, her name was Tamia, all of her classmates who took this class with her on, on the Bible, they were super, super excited for the New Testament. They said, we can't wait until Jesus gets on the scene and then happy times and good and miracles and all this good stuff. And she said, oh, but you're missing it. You're missing it. You can see God's fingerprint. You can, you can feel his breath in these words. So I would encourage you tonight, church, take a look at that. Find something in the Old Testament and don't just leave it there. Ask yourself, but what has God done to make this applicable to me? What has God done to make a way where there were clearly still issues, there clearly were still gaps that people couldn't access him? How has God made this so much better for me? I promise you the gratitude that floods your heart is tremendous. And the eyes with which you see Christ and his sacrifice are, are unlike any other. Let's pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time tonight. I thank you for this group of people here willing to not only hear what you have to say, but listen and apply it. God, I pray that your spirit would continue to make itself known in us each and every day. That we would not just hear your word, but we would follow it. We would enact it. We would seek you on a daily basis in your scriptures. We would seek you in Old Testament and New Testament alike. We would desire to know you more. 
to not only hear your heartbeat, but to feel it as we're pressed up against you. God, I pray that you continue to take the words that you shared with your people tonight and touch their hearts. Change their lives. May it be a radical, amazing moment, one of which they they never come back the same. I pray blessings and favor. I pray a constant anointing over your people and over this church. In the holy, mighty, and righteous name of our Savior, our sacrifice, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. So I did finish a few minutes early. So take some time tonight and spread some love with someone, even if they're not your valentine. Even if they're not your valentine, spread some love with someone in this area. Thank you.